1322. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Whoa, turn that crap off. What are you, crazy? I'm going to scare everybody. Now it's close. People are going to think we're nuts. Welcome to El Police Radio. I'm your host, Alpha Mike. Episode number 17 of To Be or Not To Be. You know, the last podcast we had, uh, number 16, episode number 16, we discussed the inner voice. You know, that little voice that sometimes is too low, you can barely hear it, or that inner voice that sometimes is too, too loud. It's that inner voice that never shuts up consistently telling you what to do and how to do it. Yep. That's how you're going to go through your career. That's how you did your career. With that little inner voice. The silent partner. The one you can't see. But he's there. Constantly and continuously talking to you about what is right and what is wrong. What feels good, what doesn't feel good. So, off you go. You're no longer handcuffed to an academy setting. You're no longer on probation. Now you're on your own. And, you know, I can operate with little to no supervisions because I know exactly what I'm doing. And I know how to do it well. You know, there are so many aspects to this job that, to be honest, nobody's looking. But one thing that I won't do is I just can't take money. I can't become a corrupt cop, a corrupt officer a corrupt deputy, a corrupt agent. I can't. I took an oath. And that oath means something to me. Now, that little voice is always telling me, what if you see somebody else do it? Well, I'll just come across that bridge when I come to it. But for now, I just keep on having fun. You know, I'm in my patrol car, and I'm looking good. I got my hair slipped back. And, you know, while I'm on patrol, I have a tendency of doing the rounds. You know, every so often, the alarm goes off, and... Sometimes you gotta make house calls 
And you know, I just looked apart. I walked apart. I am the part. They follow me. I don't follow them. But it is what it is. And I keep on walking. Keep on doing my thing. And I know what I'm doing. I ain't bothering nobody. I ain't hurting nobody. I'm not corrupt. I ain't taking no money. They're just my groupies. That's all. And I'm doing my thing. And I'm going to keep on doing it. But you know what? I need to slow it down a little bit. So I'm going to do it at my pace. And really kind of enjoy it. And at one point, I'm going to know that I have to stop it. I can't continue like this. I'm going to get busted. So I'm going to start wrapping it up because everything's got to come to an end. And yes, I know the consequences to this. I know that this isn't right. I know that what I'm doing has consequences. But they came to me. They're my groupies. All I did was put on a uniform. But I'm going to cut it off, and it's all going to come to an end. And I'm going to get serious because I can't keep on doing this. I'm not focused on the team. I'm not focused on the objective. The squad's looking at me a little funny now. So I'm going to get ready. Oh, yes, I am. Who are you fooling? I'm from Miami. I know exactly what I want. That's right, Jack. La Boeria. And I'm going in, and I'm running this game. I'm in control. I'm on top of the world. I have all the power in the world. And nobody really bothers me. Got my groupies. Got my squad. We're all down on the same objective. And boy, we're going to ride. We're going to ride this one very low. And we're going to enjoy it all the way to the finish line. But there's times I think, am I really doing the right thing? That damn inner voice constantly nagging me. But there's nothing I can do. I'm just going to have to tune them out, lower the volume, and keep going. Now, you know what? This got to come to an end. So now I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask somebody, because I got I to gotta do something for me. I'm, this is my game. So, you know, I risk my life out there going to these calls, handling these incidents, one after another, day by day. It's all the same crap over and over again. It gets old. So I've livened it up. That's getting boring now. And I know I've got family responsibility. I shouldn't have been doing that in the first place. But I took that inner voice and I lowered the volume. I don't know how he did it. But boy, that joker kept on raising the volume on me. So now, I'm going to think about me. I got 15 years in. 
and I'm going to think about my retirement. So I'm going to start asking for silver and gold. But we'll get into that later. Folks, that was in the, the introduction to episode number 17 of To Be or Not To Be. And it's that inner voice that consistently walks with us during our career. Every time we put on the uniform, even though I might make a decision to go one way, that voice may tell me, you shouldn't have done that, you should have went the other way. And we deal with these things. Is the level of corruption in law enforcement more or less than it used to be? If you could answer that question, you've got some other questions you need to answer too. But what I do know is that corruption exists in all professions and it's an individual choice. I often recall a part of a story in the scriptures that kind of really emphasized to me the truth about making up excuses. But we'll talk more about that when we do and we have the conversation. You know, I recently saw a documentary called Let It Fall. And it was about the LAPD, and they might have mentioned it in the last podcast. And one of the things that stuck out to me the most was the unwillingness of the agency at the time to make any changes. You see, the chief that they had at the time, Daryl Gates, he had been a police officer with LAPD since 1949. Had been chief of police for a long. He almost lost focus. You start your career in 1949, and you conclude that career in 1992, 1993. There's huge generation gaps. And not to say the community has changed a whole lot. So there was a lot of issues during that era, during the riots in LA. Police department lost total focused, and when I mention the police department, I'm talking about the command. They were old school, and they were refusing to become new school in a different society, in a different culture. It is so important for law enforcement to change as the community changes. You know, Paul in scripture used to say, to the Greek, I was the Greek, To the Hebrew, I was the Jew. And basically what he was saying is he would change with the culture he was in in order to get the message out. And sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we we stay the same. It is so important to have your culture, to have your heritage, I totally agree with that. And anybody that says I'm wrong, you need to rethink that position because God didn't all make us the same. He made us differently for a reason. 
But it is so important for an organization, and especially a law enforcement organization, that they have to change in their approach to that culture, to that society. Yes, I believe in American ideals. I believe in apple pie. I believe in the American flag. I believe in standing for the United, for the uh, Pledge of Allegiance and the national anthem. But that's not what I'm talking about. <clears throat> we we have communities that, for whatever reason, <coughs> excuse me, specific groups will blend into a specific region. When the agency that's patrolling that area loses focus and really doesn't know how to talk or interact with that agency or that community, it becomes difficult for the agency. I'll give you a, a, an example. I remember early on in my career, I would see uh, there was a course called law, Spanish for Law Enforcement Officers. And they were basically giving uh, courses on key words that kind of like, you know, meant danger in Spanish to, to kind of alert them and stuff like that. And I'm not knocking the course, but what it was is we we're trying to put a false face on, on a, a real issue. Communication is an awareness issue that every officer, deputy, should be concerned with. You know, if they're talking in a different language that you can't understand, <clears throat> your heightened awareness should be that much higher because something could go wrong. Different cultures don't don't look eye to eye. Uh, different uh, cultures don't touch each other. Different cultures, all they want to do is touch you as soon as you get there. <coughs> and it becomes an issue that there are many, many things that police officers have to do in today's law enforcement society. Take a listen to this. Asking cops to do too much in this country. We are. We're just asking us to do too much. Every societal failure, we put it off on the cops to solve. Not enough mental health funding. Let the cops handle it. Not enough drug addiction funding. Let's give it to the cops. Here in Dallas, we got a loose dog problem. Let's have a cop chase loose dogs. You know, schools fail. Give it to the cops. Um, Seventy percent of the African American community is being raised by single women. Let's give it to the cops to solve that as well. That's too much to ask. Policing was never meant to solve all those problems. And I just ask for other parts of our democracy, along with the free press, to help us. That was Chief David uh, Brown of the Dallas Police Department. Of course, he's retired now. And during those um, shooting of those five Dallas police officers, I feel he did a tremendous job during that time in carrying the agency. And he spoke from the heart. You know, he had a lived experience. His son, in a use of force, was killed by police officers 
in another jurisdiction. And so he had to live, you know, that in his police family as well. And he did an excellent job. And during that time, and he is a very eloquent speaker as well. So I, I've always said, Law enforcement work, whether it's in the streets or in the jails, officers and deputies are being challenged with so many more things that they have to do. And, you know, they have to make minute-second decisions. They've got to fix generational problems in minutes and... Some of the requirements to get into some of these agencies is a high school diploma or a GED. So you learn on the fly. You learn on the fly how to grow. And doing your career, you change. You change with uh, the area that you're watching, your, your jurisdiction that you have. You know, a lot of individuals that have done undercover operatives and undercover assignments have often said you can easily find yourself lost in your role and very difficult to get out of. And I can see how that happens. You're engulfed in that community. And even if it's in the in undercover capacity, you're... You're so inside, entrenched in that community that you lose yourself. And in the skit that we do, you know, uh, Romeo, the, the suave police officer, they're out there. I saw them in my career. Shirts, two sizes too small. And uh, we used to call them the City of Miami tailored shirts. I guess all the city guys are going to get pissed off now, like if it never happened. And there was a certain walk to them, and you had your beeper. There was no such thing as cell phones. And um, it was a social network. You know, you handle your calls, and you had a routine. You took certain signals on uh, with the dispatcher, and that brought you quality time. And... You know, pretty much your supervision and everybody else was Rico Suave also. It was during that era. It was the culture of that time. Now, things might be a little different now, but that was what it was in that culture in that time. So when I say you have to think out of the box as an agency, you're not doing the bad things that the community does, but you have to have a form of communication with that community. It has to be that open door policy. In my career, I saw guys that had the ability. They were straight from the ghetto, man. And they would basically say, I'll be right back. Similar to that voice, too. And uh, they come back and they, they tell you the 411. Who's doing it? How they're doing it? When they're doing it? When's the next load? All in a conversation. Because they were effective communicators with that specific group. 
And I saw it in the Cuban community also. You know, you could be of another uh, Spanish race, ethnicity, uh, country, and try to communicate uh, with Cubans, and they'd look at you like you had four heads. They were, I'm going to talk to you. And then you came in and say, okay, what does that? And all of a sudden, they were blabbing away. So that's a part of policing. And I'm a big advocate of community policing because you need to get inside that community. And I have no control what that community looks like. I'm not going to get, I'm the one that signed up to work here, bro. They were here before I got here. So it's my job to serve them because that's why I applied. Or sometimes it's not the same community like it, it was in that documentary of Los Angeles, 1949. Now it's 1992, 1993. From 1949 to 1993, that's a lot of freaking years. And I know there have been a couple of cultural changes during those years. <clears throat> so you have to ask yourself the question, how effective is that agency in enforcing if it's lost touch, if the agency loses touch, one of the things I don't agree with is that phony facade, the, the 60 second video of the police officer interacting with the community, dancing with the community, playing basketball, look at me, I'm one of you. It's a bunch of BS. No, it's about getting out your freaking car ringing some doorbells and making new friends. And I've said that, and I continue to say that. But it's the culture. Officers, let me tell you something about law enforcement officers. I've been around many of them, and I was one. And I could tell you, they don't like to be criticized. They're never freaking wrong. And uh, just recently, I posted something on Facebook. Uh, it was the shooting in, in Broward County with the BSO sheriff where the sheriff gets kind of dragged through the floor by uh, the bad guy. And then there's <clears throat> certain issues with a taser and dialogue and the end result is they shoot him. So after the investigative findings, it's discovered that it was uh, justified. There's a thin line between justification and that's all I said. I put that on Facebook, and I said it was a thin line <clears throat> that because legally they were justified, there were some, in my view, some real training issues. Like, where the hell was the second deputy when the deputy was knocking on the door to go inside the house? Where his bravado at the door at the house it's flipped on him because now the bad guy didn't like the way he approached and it turned into a bad situation. Forcing, <coughs> excuse me, the use of force to get worse and forcing it to become a deadly situation. And that's pretty much all I said, that although justified, the, the agency has to deal with them training-wise to avoid these things from happening. Oh gosh, you, you, you think I'm? I, I said something that uh, I was a traitor of the country, and all of a sudden I'm getting ganged up, and everybody uh, talking to me. They're all professionals about taser, about this and about that. 
That's not. I I wasn't talking about any of that. I'm not second guessing what they did. They did what they did, and they were justified. And it could have flipped the other way. It could have been not justified, and the grand jury could have said, "Hell with you, you're going to jail." Now what? It could have gone either way, but that's not what I was talking about. What I'm talking about, there has to be a lesson learned from that situation. It has to be studied by a use of force committee, including training and the high command. And new training has to be developed from that one incident. Now, you could say whatever the hell you want to say, okay? I don't know what I'm talking about. And my response to you is bullshit. I do. Because that is what gets agencies in trouble. They refuse to bend a little. Now, this is the way we do this. I have a dear friend of mine, and he is an investigator. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm coming uh, off the flu. He's an investigator with the Department of Justice a monitor, that's the actual term that they use. And uh, he used to be a chief of police, uh, was policing for 49 years, and about 34 of those years, he was uh, chief of police in Illinois and some other places in, in Louisiana, I believe. And uh, he was coming down Miami, and uh, I had the task of uh, taking care of him when he was in town, and... Uh, you know, pretty much escorting whatever his needs were. And uh, he, we became good friends, and he, he would tell me a lot about use of forces and how they're investigating what's going on. And he told me a story about an agency that the U.S. attorney calls him and, and told him, Chuck, we need you to go in and, and investigate this agency because we have a pattern that whenever there's a chase, uh, the individual suspects end up in the hospital. And it's mostly coming from the night shift more than any other shift. So in he went, and he started looking at files and investigating. And sure enough, there was a pattern here. But being in law enforcement for 49 years and being a chief for about 34 of those, he knew not all the time do, does a chief of police actually know what's happening in their agency. Believe it or not, sometimes the people on the top are the last to know what's going on because they're so caught up in other things all the way up on the top, they're not really looking all around. And they're entrusting in a command staff underneath them to correct matters. So he thought he'd take the benefit of the doubt and speak to that chief. So he confronted him with all the evidence and he did it as a goodwill gesture, <clears throat> but the chief's response was, I really don't want to talk to you about this. So it left him no other choice than to pick up the phone and call the U.S. attorney and said, get everything ready. We got a live one. So several weeks later, they go back with the U.S. attorneys. They meet with their command staff, and they're presented with similar situation presenting the evidence to them and and the pattern and even the specific unit that had a higher percentile than the rest. And after a while, after he was describing the incident, he noticed that the chief already was 
kind of bored at the conversation because he already knew who these people were. He already knew what was happening. So his response is, listen, I'm extremely busy. What do I need to do for this to go away? And at that point, the U.S. attorney came in and said, well, there's a couple of documents we're going to give you to sign. And they went into an agreement. <coughs> so Chuck said, you know, I just can't let this go by. I got to talk to this guy off the record. And he asked him, why do we have to have this dance? How come when I, I came to your office and I presented you with everything, why did you make me go through all this to just sign a document? The response, you caught me. See, sometimes agency heads know exactly what's going on. But it's more cultural than anything else. It's the way you were trained. Not official training, but unofficial training. And it becomes second nature of the agency. And as you grow in the agency, so does those habits. For anyone that has been in law enforcement to say, oh, how can you say such a thing? Never. You're lying to yourself. You're making up fairy tales. Because it does happen. And I don't think anybody's proud of it. There's a lot of people in uniform and have retired from uniforms. And they, not that they're proud of it, but they're not uh, very ashamed of it either, either. Because they basically said, I had to do what I had to do to survive. I remember an old timer once told me, I I remember the day you go to domestic violence, a DV, and you took out you took the guy out and you took him out to the parking lot and you beat the crap out of him. He told me, listen, and if I come back the second time, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you even more. Those days are gone. You can't do that now. Oh my gosh, how can he even say such a thing? What the hell? Act like it doesn't exist. Act like there's doctors that are not freaking drug addicts. Lawyers that ain't corrupt taking money. Keep on covering your ears and your eyes. You live in a fairy tale, in a bubble. <clears throat> and it's not realistic. So if you want to change something, the first thing you got to do is admit that there is a problem. So the topic of the episode, to be or not to be. Do I want it to be that change, that catalyst to change, or do I want to be part of the problem? <coughs> a lot of people will tell you, you know what, I'm not here to, to stand out and, and, and become Frank Serpico. I'm just going to do my time. And they just go along with it until they're caught up on some footage somewhere, and now they're compromised. Because this ain't their first rodeo. And they haven't done anything about it. No, this isn't a call about what you should do. This is a wake-up call to tell you that it exists and that you have to be prepared to do something. Just not let it go by like nobody's watching. Because the one that's watching is the one that gave all authority, all governance to us, and that's God. So... It's a higher calling. It's a higher calling. And it's a tough decision. Sometimes you got to do things. You don't want to get people in trouble. You don't want to mess with their livelihood. 
I understand all of that. Sometimes you got to have one-on-ones. When I was when I was in uh, an officer, many times officers, if you were the a senior officer, you have the most time, you instilled the freaking discipline in the squad. You're the one that smacked heads and kicked ass. And and the supervisors were basically, hey, everything okay? Yeah, yeah, everything's okay. everything's fine. Go back to the freaking office. If I, if I need you, I'll call you. And most of the time, they knew what was happening. That the senior officer was instilling discipline in the squad that was a little loose with something. And think about it. In the squad that you have now, does that exist? Or is your senior officer a deaf freaking mute? Walking around with his hands in his pocket, playing pocket pool. Is he actively engaged or is she actively engaged? Or are they looking at their retirement benefits online? These are serious questions. Serious questions. Because the art of law enforcement, if we don't perfect the art, will be lost. And what I'm talking about is professional law enforcement, folks. Don't get it twisted and don't turn CNN on me. I'm talking about a professional law enforcement behavior, okay? And that doesn't necessarily start from the top. That starts from the bottom up, in my view, okay? The top, they've got their phony routines already down packed. You know, I always learned, you want to screw something up, let somebody from the top get a hold of it. That's it. Chaos. You know, I'd see line officers come up with great freaking ideas Put it on paper, and by the time it went up 18 flights of stairs to to the highest levels, it came back 400 pages. You said, what the hell is this? It's incredible how you can master so much bullshit to keep your employment. But anyway, enough's enough. A lot of people have to ask themselves that question, to be or not to be. Are you that guy that you're on the social dating scene and you forget about your routine patrol? Are you that guy that has to handle 100 personal business items and you even forget the reason you're even there? Are you that guy that the squad has to freaking carry every freaking day? You're never on time. You're sloppy. You never know what the hell you're doing. And everybody's got to put in all your reports for you because you've got two opposing thumbs. And one of them's lodged. Those people exist, friends. They exist. And there's a lot of good people that carry them. It is an irresponsibility of current agencies to allow these individuals to keep on existing at that level. It's always the bad apple. You know, I used, I used to hear it in my career. Oh, you act like a jerk and they promote you or they, or they send you to headquarters behind a desk and you do nothing for 20 years. And now that I do everything I'm required to do and I'm hustling, all I do is get reprimanded and yelled at. Well, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Like a friend of mine said, sometimes you have good days, you get to take the elevator, some days, some days you got to take the stairs. That's just the way it rolls. But it's so important. When I had the pleasure and the honor to become a training advisor for the lateral classes, 
I felt a need to to express some of these laterals transfers into the agency. Some of them had, you know, some time. Uh, I would say average was about 10 years or less. But I, I told him, this is another agency, and it's a new day for you. And I always encouraged him with these words. Be who you're going to be day one, not day 52. And a lot of people do that the backwards. They go into the agency. They're kind of very shy. They just go along with the flow. And all of a sudden, a couple of years pass by. Now they're the most outspoken person, and, 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 and they run to everybody's aid, and they're the, the biggest big mouth in the room. I think you need to be who you're going to be day one. Oh, yeah, your squad might not like you for it, but they'll learn to respect you, and they'll, they'll learn to work with you. They know you only have one pitch, fastball. And they'll work around that fastball. But if you start changing up on day three, day four, day 62, you're working with heckle and jekyll. You don't know who's going to show up. Be who you're going to be day one. You know, when I was in that position, I had that eye. I could tell who's going to be good and who was playing garbage. And uh, although I don't go into the gossip anymore, every once in a while people call me and they tell me, hey, you remember this? Well, you remember that? And they'll tell me that the person uh, is garbage. Or they're very good. I could see it. But who hired them? That's the problem. People that are doing the hiring don't know who they're hiring because the people that are doing the hiring, <laughs> they don't do what you do. That's why. Simple as that. Two opposing worlds. I'm in HR, and you're out saving the freaking world. So that's how it works. Folks, if you want to get connected with us, we'll tell you how to do it. It's real simple. All you got to do is tune into L policeradio.com we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook we're on all that social media stuff look for us, find us also, our brother podcast, Leatherneck 7 is up and running um, I'm very uh, I'm proud of the fact that we have a pretty good lineup coming on for Leatherneck 7 and want you to tune in some uh, shows are uh, really impactful so we want you to listen to that and we have some guests coming on and uh, I, I recently saw a photograph that I'll be posting of uh, I was replaced as the as the co-host for a short time on another next seven and uh, but if somebody had a replacement to replace me she's the one so connect with us also, coming this year, 2018, the party's over. Put away the whistles. It's coming. 09 training. It's coming. And we're going to have training on the formats of uh, online. Passcode protected. You have to become a member. There will be uh, videos coming as well. 
And uh, But all that's coming. Calm down. Don't be that rotten individual in the freaking movie theater sitting behind you that has to kill the movie by saying every freaking thing that's going to happen. Just be quiet and pay attention. So, connect with us, and uh, it's very important. Uh, recently, I've had some positive feedback on on lpoliceradio.com. Uh, People saying that it's very informative and so forth. And uh, let me tell you, those, those, those little, I don't know, two sentences they write, they're uplifting. You know, sometimes you talk into a microphone and you go, hello, this freaking thing works? Hello? And, and you start to wonder, does it really work? But we're getting there. We're building the library. It's growing. It's getting bigger. It's getting better. It's getting more impactful. Soon, um, Leatherneck 7, L Police Radio, will be working with co-hosts, and we'll be back into our, our array of things. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, folks. A lot that goes on behind the scenes. So this will be our last segment in this series, To Be or Not To Be. Now, in Scripture, it tells you about Peter and John, and they were getting ready to go to prayer to the temple on the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., and as they're walking towards the temple, they see a paralytic individual that couldn't walk sitting by the temple begging for money, and he's asking everybody as they walk by, but as Peter and John got closer, Peter looked at him, fixing his eyes on him, with John Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Raise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately, immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he was leaping up, stood, walked, and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging at the beautiful gate of the temple. And that they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I could tell you what happened. Not only was he paralyzed and couldn't walk, he had a bunch of lame excuses. I'll do it tomorrow. I, I have pity. I need more money. I can't walk, I can't do, I can't, I can't. 
And many of us have many lame excuses as well that we carry our day every day making up lame excuses on certain things. And we try not to look at the reality of the situations. When we look at this series, To Be or Not To Be, it's not about coming up with lame excuses. It's about receiving the power, the power that is in with you, inside of you to do the right thing. Peter reached his right hand out and lifted him up and said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand and walk. The power was so powerful that he leaped up immediately, started walking. My friends, if you're overcome, if you're paralyzed from a situation, if you can't walk any longer, if it's more and more difficult to get out of the situation that you got yourself in, I know who has the power to get you out of it. Just like Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Jesus of Nazareth, he can snap you out of it. Folks, the time is now. Today is the day of your salvation, the scripture says. Listen to this. When I did the series, The Inner Voice, I had an outline of everything I was supposed to say. And for some strange reason, I just went on a freaking tyrant and I, I fell into a, a sketch. Off the top of my head, straight from the hip, I started shooting. I played it back and I listened to it to, during editing. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with the inner voice because we all have them. You know why we have them? Because God built them into each and every one of us. They're called the conscience. Folks, times are serious. The day is today, the day of your salvation. If you believe that Jesus is God enough to lift you up, make you walk again because you're paralyzed, you just can't move, have faith and believe he can. I encourage you to get involved, look at scripture, read it, go to a Bible foundation church. You know, if, if, if your church has circus acts and smoke on the altar and they play music of all types and there's a clown show for the kids, run, run, get out of there you can. Before I, I break out the segment and I, I finish, the inner voice, some of those things were very natural and very easy for me to, to act out because they were me. But over 20 years ago, I, I made the change. And God was faithful enough to make me walk again. Yeah, I talk a little differently, I act a little differently, but I'm saved. 
Now I want, I want to share this with you. Former police officer, he became a pastor. Listen to this. Listen to me like you've never listened to me, ever in your life. We have got to lay our lives down for the purposes of God. This is not a Sunday school picnic, the Church of Jesus Christ. This is not an invitation to have continuous good times. This is a war for the souls of men. Come out from among them. Run for your life. Because this is about your life. It's not just about an opposing theology or conflicting viewpoint on Jesus. This is about your life. My mind is forever branded with the story that I heard of police officers from the city of New York as, as people were fleeing from a crumbling building. There were police officers and firemen and others that were running towards the building saying, run for your life at their own peril. And in some cases, I believe they knew they were going to die, but there was a sense of duty. I was crying out to God. I said, God, oh, Jesus, don't let my sense of duty be less for your kingdom than these beloved firemen and policemen were for those that are perishing in the fallen tower. We're living in a generation when truth is falling into the streets. I want to be among those that are not running away from the conflict, but running into the conflict and say, run for your life. Run from gospels that focus only on success and prosperity. Run. Run from those who use the name of Christ only for his personal gain. Run from those that are picking your pocket in the name of Jesus. Run. Run from Gospels that only focus on self-improvement. Run! Run from churches where men and not Christ are glorified. Run! Run! Body of Christ, run! Get out! Don't touch the unclean thing. Run from churches in America and Canada where there is no Bible. There's no cause in the theology. There's no soul-searching word. There's no repentance from sin. There's no mention of the blood of Jesus. Run! It's unclean. Run! Run from churches where you're comfortable in your sins. If you come into the house of God and you've got sin in your life and you're not convicted of it, you're at a table of devils. Run from pulpits that are filled with political men who are using the pulpit of God for a personal political agenda. Run! Run from those who preach division between races and cultures. Run! Run! Get out! Turn it off! Get away from it! They know nothing of God. Run! from ungodly, spasmodic movements and endless, empty prophesying 
Beloved church, run for your life. Run from preachers that stand and tell stories and jokes. Run like you've never run before. Run! 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 Our next podcast, everybody was kung fu fighting. Folks, I'm out.